The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning, dear church family. Let's stand and give honor to God's Word. And uh, we're reading from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, starting in verse 19 through verse 30. And if you don't have a Bible, you need one, there's one right in front of you, underneath the seat in front of you, and you can turn to page 921 in that Bible. Philippians, chapter 1, starting in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for that through the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had now, and and I had, and now hear that I still have. You may be seated, and this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Delta, um, as many of you know, Jonathan is on sabbatical. And um, I'm going to use a baseball terminology. We had to go to the bullpen this morning. We did. Um, we did. Uh, Chance uh, was scheduled to speak. He is uh, significantly ill. So if you would pray for Chance Newingham, um, I think all is well. He's on the right track, but uh, uh, significantly under the weather. So Charles uh, agreed to uh, fill in and preach this morning. Uh, I'm thankful uh, for your willingness to do that, Charles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to pray for you in our time. Thanks, Father, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And we are thankful that there is something to preach about, that we have hope, and we thank you for your word, which informs us. I thank you for Charles, his willingness to come and share uh, from your word. I pray that you would empower him for service this morning. I pray that you would um, change our hearts as believers in Christ, that we would might be conformed more to the image of Christ. And I pray for those who are here who don't know you, Father, that you would change their hearts and draw them to you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Every text message an elder loves to get when your pastor's on sabbatical, I'm not feeling well. I may not be able to preach on Sunday. 
That was the text I got from Chance on Thursday. So I was like, all right. So I looked at the other two guys. There could have been a baby born this weekend. So Brian Hubert was not an option, although we're grateful that you're here today. So Amanda's like, I wish I wasn't here today. <laughs> all right. And then I looked at the other guy, and Brady's like, yep, I'm in the family dedication day today. I was like, yeah, okay, I know whose job it will be this morning. So thankfully, we're in the book of Philippians and not Leviticus, right? Okay, so my wife said, you know, you have to really struggle to screw up Philippians. I said, that's true. So that's my goal today is not screw it up. Um, but hey, here's, here's where I want us to go this morning. Here's the title, if you're taking notes. So, and it's, and it, and it's kind of built into the main theme as well. The title is this, living a life worth living and dying a death worth dying. Let me say that again. Living a life worth living and dying a death worth dying. The main point is this. As believers, we can have full confidence in God's provision to live a life worth living and dying a death worth dying. Let me say it one more time. As believers, we can have full confidence in God's provision to live a life worth living and dying a death worth dying. Last week, Will kicked us off with the book of Philippians and uh, gave us a little bit of background about where Philippi is right there in southern Europe. Key city. Um, in fact, it was such a key city that it was kind of like a little Rome. Um, and so the, the Romans really made it an outpost. And so the citizens of Philippi really saw themselves as Roman citizens. Uh, and so uh, if you had been to Philippi, it was almost as if you had been to Rome. There was that much connection between the two cities. And as you know from what Will talked about last week, um, the church at Philippi got started uh, by Paul when he went there, met some ladies down by the river. They were having a Bible study. They weren't believers in that moment, but they were God-fearers. So Lydia was one of those ladies. She was a seller of purple, meaning that she probably had a lot of means, a uh, pretty wealthy lady. Um, and, and after that experience, she and her whole household came to faith. And then later, Paul and Silas, they get put in prison because they basically cast out a demon in a girl, um, and, and the people that basically kind of owned her, they lost their living wage off that girl, and so they got thrown into prison. And then while they were in prison, this great worship experience breaks out, Paul and Silas singing, Earthquake happens, the doors open, the jailer's about ready to kill himself because he knows if any, if any uh, prisoners escape, he's a dead man anyway, so he might as well kill himself. Paul says, hold on, nobody's gone, we're all here. And the guy literally is like, man, what must I do to be saved? So Paul leads him to Christ. So then you begin to see this church being formed. And that's how the church got birthed in Philippi, was the gospel being proclaimed, people responding to the gospel. Now, here we are, basically 10 years later. This is when this letter gets written. This letter that we're looking at today, it's a letter of Paul back to the believers in Philippi. But Paul's circumstance has changed. He's no longer in prison in Philippi. Now he's in prison in Rome. Uh, and he's writing back to the church to encourage them. And so that's where we're going to pick up today in verses 19 through 30. When we think about the way that we live, 
we will go to great extremes to stay alive. Think about the movies you watch. Think about the stories uh, we've seen of people do miraculous things, do, quite honestly, sometimes very hard things to themselves just to stay alive. One of the movies that my wife and I enjoy is a movie called The Finest Hour. It's about kind of how the Coast Guard got formed. And in 1952, one of the, one of the key things that happened to, him, to them, there was this guy by the name of um, Bernard Bernie Weber. Um, and he was just kind of a midshipman there um, in the Coast Guard. And there was a big tanker that uh, basically split in two and was off the coast of Cape Cod um, up there in Mass. And so... Bernie gets assigned to go out and take this little 12-man boat and rescue these guys. And the story of the movie is, is him making it over these dangerous shoals where there's just massive undertow and massive whales coming in. And he gets his little boat, gets it to the tanker. It's a 12-man boat. There's already four guys on the boat from the crew. And he saves the 32 crewmen from the ship. They get them on board, and they get them back in. We love those kind of stories. I mean, you're sitting there, you're cheering him on. You're, you're like, man, he, I, I, you, know, you, you hope that this is going to be a happy ending story. We go to great extremes to stay alive. You probably have stories in your mind right now that are swirling of people who have, uh, have escaped death um, by just going to great extremes. But here's the question I want to ask you. It's not just the question of staying alive. The bigger question is this. What are you living for? Why do you want to stay alive? Why are you going to great extremes today to stay alive? What are you living for? Paul gives it to us, and I'm going to give us the key verse right up front. Here's the verse that I want to keep coming back to over and over again. It's in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I want you to write down these two questions, and I don't want you to fill in the blank. I want you to save it for the very end of the message. Question number one, for me, living is blank. For me, living is blank. Question number two, dying is blank. Just let those questions just sit there as you listen to God's word, as we dig into his word, as we move forward this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning as, as we dig into your word, as we look at what you have to say to us through the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church that has been brought forward so that we can hear it today and take encouragement from it, Father. Lord, just open up our hearts, quiet our minds. Lord, block out all the things that, that could enter into our minds right now. Father, I pray that as I, as I bring this message, that it's a message that I, I bring in clarity, and that I bring with boldness that I bring empowered by the Holy Spirit. If not, Father, it's just, it's just words on a page. So God, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity to be encouraged by your word and to encourage this group of people that are here with us today. And in your son's name I pray, amen. 
So as we jump into this idea and as we think about this question, what are you living for? The first thing I want us to look at in verses 18 through 20 is this. Point number one, as believers, our ambition should be to honor Christ. As believers, our ambition should be to honor Christ. Look what Paul says in, in uh, the beginning of, well, really, he, he really starts back in verse 18. He says, what then, um, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So he's talking about the people that um, basically may be preaching for other reasons to kind of get at him to whatever. He doesn't care because Christ is being proclaimed, and he rejoices in that. Then he goes on in verse 19, and he keeps going, and he says, yes, and I will rejoice. No matter what the future holds, no matter what may be out there, Paul's beginning, he was looking back, now he's beginning to look forward. I will rejoice. That's a future thinking. And he's saying that from a prison cell. With no guarantee of getting out with no guarantee of being able to go anywhere else, see anybody else, maybe not even to see the Philippians, some of his best friends and pride and joy, if you will. But he's going to rejoice anyway. Why is that? Well, look in verse 19. He says this, For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul can rejoice because Paul knows who he depends on. He knows he's going to be delivered. One way or another, he's going to be delivered. He's got confidence in God, but he's also got confidence in the prayers of the Philippians. He trusts in the sovereignty of God. God has me here for a reason I may not understand all of those reasons right now, but God has me here in this moment, in this place with these people. Now, what we'll see later, and all the other books that we see Paul that has written from, from that Roman prison cell, I mean, just think about it. Um, the Roman army basically paved the way for the gospel. Um, we, we think potentially that a lot of the Roman soldiers that interacted with Paul they got deployed. They got sent other places. These letters that he wrote went back to the churches. So even though Paul couldn't go, the words that he wrote got to go. So he didn't bemoan the fact that, man, I wish I could, God has called me to be a missionary. I wish I could be out on my mission still. He wasn't bemoaning that fact. He was, he was rejoicing in the fact that he trusted in God's sovereignty. I know God has got me here. But then secondly, and the thing that I don't want to miss in that, in this is that he trusted in the prayers of the Philippian church. Through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Don't take for granted your prayers. Oftentimes, I will catch my own self. I'll text somebody and I'll say, hey, I'm praying for you, but is there anything else I can do practically? I should have just stopped with, I'm praying for you. Because that's actually the most important thing that I can do for you in that moment. That's more important than any meal I can provide, any taxi service I can provide, any hammer that I can swing. 
whatever else I can do to serve you, the most important thing that I can do for you in that moment is pray. That's why right now, for little Zeke, the most important thing we can do for Kyle and Jill is just to daily intercess for him. When God brings that name to mind, we just stop and pray. That's what we do. That's why for us as a church, we have begun to spend more time in our family gathering right here on Sunday mornings just interceding for people because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that it will have effect. I was talking to Kyle yesterday. Um, yesterday morning when they got to Chicago, there was no bed for Zeke. There was no place for Jill to stay. By noon that day, there was a bed for Zeke. There was a place for Jill to stay. People were praying for those things. Things changed. Things happened. We can tell story after story after story like that. Last Saturday, I was in New Orleans. Um, we had our annual Southern Baptist Convention down there. And, the, and before the convention starts, there are always teams that come in to help the local churches do um, ministry um, in their city. And so I went down early to help with one of those teams. Well, the day before, one of the teams that went out just to pray for people and share the gospel with people, um, they were praying before they went out. And that morning, um, before they went out, they were just, God, we just pray for opportunities, for open doors, for open hearts, for people to be receptive to the gospel. Literally, when they said amen, there was a lady across the street that saw them, because they had these, we, we had these nasty turquoise shirts on, okay? We were easily identifiable. And she's like, hey, are you guys a bunch of Christians? And they said, yes, we are. And she said, I've been praying for someone to come and tell me to know about Jesus. You know, don't take prayer for granted. Paul didn't take it for granted. The spirit works. Don't go into your trials without those essentials. Trusting in the sovereignty of God, being dependent on the Holy Spirit, trusting in God's people to pray for you. Paul didn't. Look on down in verse 20 and 21. He goes on to say, the famous verse that we now see, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what I want you to remember here as we think about that is how do we represent Christ courageously? How, how could Paul... How could Paul live that way? Well, first off, his hope, his confidence, if you will, if you think Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. In fact, let me read that verse to you um, just to remind you what we're talking about here. In Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, it says this. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. This is not the kind of hope that I have for my Kansas City Royals. I hope they win today. I hope they finally get out of last place. I hope they draft a draft pick next year that will help me. It's not that kind of hope. It's a hope that has a confidence that God is who he says he is and God will do what he has promised in his word because he's already demonstrated that. There's a history, there's a track record there. 
so Paul can put his full hope. So when Paul says there in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope, he can live with that kind of courage because he has confidence in God's sovereignty and he has confidence in the sufficiency of the Spirit. Because see, the other, thing, the other thing I want you to remember is for Paul and for us, quite honestly, it shouldn't be about our reputation, but it should be about Christ. He was focused on, man, I, 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 I don't want to shame I don't want to bring shame to Jesus. I want to honor Jesus. So I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to live however I need to live to bring honor to him. Which means that this is not a private thing. This is a public thing. This is a life lived in the public square. I'm going to be bold in my proclamation of the gospel in the, in the things that I say and the way that I live. That's what Paul's chasing here. Now, the other side of that is he's not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to do it perfectly. So if you're looking to try to do this perfectly, just breathe and just lower the stress right now because there's grace. That's where grace comes in. So living this way, we live in the grace of Jesus empowered by the Spirit. So if we're living in grace, empowered by the Spirit, that becomes an unstoppable force. And that's the life that Paul was living. So Paul could say, do your worst. If you kill me, I get Christ. If you let me live, I get to serve Christ. Either way, I win. For this Oklahoma boy, it's like offering him a ribeye or a filet. Neither one's a bad choice, right, Tom? You know? You, you don't lose. You know? That's what Paul's saying here. It's like St. Patrick's Prayer. Some of you will recognize this. As I rise today, may the strength of God pilot me, the power of God uphold me, the wisdom of God guide me. May the eye of God look before me, the ear of God hear me, the word of God speak for me. May the hand of God protect me. The way of God lie before me, the shield of God defend me, the host of God save me. May Christ shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my life. Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit, Christ when I stand, Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen. The key question I want to ask you right now is what prayers are you praying? Are you praying like that? Are you praying like Paul? The second thing I want us to see is this. As believers, our vision is to be with Christ. Paul really has a dilemma. He lays it out in verse 22. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, 
which I, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. There is that dilemma. Do we stay and live the fruitful, meaningful, joyful labor? But we know death is better. It's like what I said earlier. That's why it's a win-win situation. Steak, is it a flare or is it a ribeye? It's a win-win. But Paul reminds us, Paul reminds us that it was necessary for him to stay. Although he wanted to depart, and the idea of departing, the idea of getting to go and be with a father in all eternity. It's kind of like when I was a kid. We lived in Oklahoma, and, and uh, every year uh, we would make a trek to Colorado to go skiing. And so between Oklahoma and Colorado, the route we would go was Kansas. Well, thankfully, I would fall asleep as we're, as we're pulling out of the drive, you know, and my, the farmhouse that I grew up is kind of fading in the back window. I miss all of the glorious Kansas. For those of you guys who've driven across Kansas, you know I'm being funny right now. It's just kind of flat. There's nothing there, right? But then the next morning, 6 a.m., we're on the far western edge of, or far eastern edge of Colorado. The sun's coming up on the mountains, and you just see this glorious landscape. You just see these beautiful 14, 15, 16,000 foot, I guess 14, 15,000 foot mountains. And the sun's just hitting those. And it's just this really cool moment. I think, I think that's kind of what Paul's referring to here when he talks about this idea of, of departing. As, as my life fades, I begin to see where I've been in the background. And then I wake up and I see the glories of heaven. That's what it's going to be like. And, and nothing in the background is going to matter anymore because we're going to be completely... That, that, that's what Paul was looking at. That, that's what Paul was thinking about when he was thinking about this tension of, man, I, I want to be with Jesus. I want to be full on with Jesus. I want to get to see him in all of his glory. That's, that's what I long for. That's what we all should long for as believers. It's, it's to see that, that glory. I mean, more than any other relationship, more than that beautiful lady that sang up here with us this morning, my, my bride of 36 years, more than my girls, more than my son-in-laws, more than my granddaughters, as wonderful and, and great as those relationships are, they pale in comparison to getting to see Jesus. That's what Paul's talking about here when he's talking about this idea of departing. And why does he stay? Why does he stay? He stays. His decision to stay, he says it very clearly. He says it was necessary. 
It was necessary. God has given me a mission here and now, and I have a necessary group of people that God has called me to, to bring the good news of Jesus to, to endure, to sacrifice, to suffer, whatever I need to do for this group of people, for you, my, my friends, my Philippians, my Philippian friends, it's necessary for me to stay for you. Here's my question for you this morning. Who's your necessary? Who are the people that God has put in your path that are your mission, that are your ministry? More than likely, it's that person sitting right next to you if you're married. It's those littles that you sent down to the flock and the nest and the herd. It's those teenagers that are driving you crazy. It's those coworkers. It's those people that you play pickleball with, Bob Bartolazzi. It's those people that I go to CrossFit with. It's those people that you do life with. Those are your necessary. That's why you are still here. That's the mission that God has given you. So the question is, how are you serving those people? How are you striving for them that Paul talks about in verse 25? So that they can rejoice in Christ. In verse 26, he talks about this whole idea of, I do this because I want to see you grow. So the suffering that you're going through, the pain that you're going through, the difficult situation that you may be in right now, it's for the sake of seeing God's mission play out. So that the gospel goes forward, so that the people that are your necessary hear the word of truth, respond to the word of truth, grow and mature in the word of truth, rejoice and celebrate in Jesus with you. So you may be enduring some hardship right now because of the people that are in your necessary. Paul was in prison. We've seen example after example all through Scripture of how people have had to, had to suffer. I mean, think about the life of Joseph. If you don't know, don't know that story, go look it up in Genesis. Lived a charmed life until he was probably a late teenager. He was the favored son. And he let everybody know it, and his dad let everybody know it. Brothers threw him in a well, left him for dead, and they're like, ah, we don't want to kill him. So they sold him into slavery. Gets a chosen spot in the house of Potiphar, gets accused of things, gets thrown in prison, does a couple more things, gets left in prison longer than he was expecting to be left in prison, and then finally becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. Now, I was able to tell you that in two minutes. But his life didn't last two minutes. That was a long, probably 30-year journey for him. There were days and hours and weeks where there was just nothing but dungeon. That was part of his life. 
You may be in one of those seasons right now. Don't give up doing good, sowing gospel goodness, sowing seeds of good, because in due season, you will reap the reward. Paul's trusting in that same thing. For some of you, you're like, man, I don't even know how to have that life. I don't even know what that life looks like. You're going to hear in a few weeks, if you come back, what that life looks like, but I want to give it to you right now. Flip over with me to Philippians chapter 3, just, just over a couple of pages, maybe even not a couple of pages. Look in verses 4 to 11. Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But catch verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That was the deal for Paul. If getting into heaven was all about who you were, who you know, what you did, Paul would have been first in line. That's what he was saying. I mean, if you want a, if you want a blue blood resume, I've got a blue blood resume. But man, that's all rubbish. For the sake of Christ. So if God is opening your heart today, your responsibility is to say yes to him. If he is calling you to him today, if he is saying to you, you're mine, confess your sins. The Bible makes it very clear. Confess your sins and call upon the name of the Lord and he will save you. That's how you can have this life that we're talking about. You count everything else as loss for the sake of Christ. The last thing I want to leave us with this morning is this. He finishes out this little section of his letter to the Philippians by saying this. As believers, we need to stand together against opposition. Let me say it one more time. As believers, we need to stand together against opposition. Look at that last little section there, starting in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation." And that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. What does that worthy idea look like practically? What's, what's it mean to live a, a, a life worthy of the gospel? Let me give you this thought. We make a statement not by just our lips, 
but with our lives. The gospel is about love, so then we should be known as loving people. The gospel is about justice, therefore we should be justice-seeking people. The gospel is about life, therefore we should display visible vitality and joy in our gatherings and in our relationships. The gospel is about liberty, therefore we should not live as stuffy legalists. The gospel is about humility, therefore we should be humble people, gladly serving others. That's what, that, that's what that worthy life looks like. But it's also a life that's not lived alone. It's a life that is lived side by side with your Jesus family, striving together. I love the illustration here. Think, think about soldiers or think about athletes on a team. They're for each other. They have each other's backs. They spend so much time together that they know what each other's strengths and weaknesses are, that they know just right where to be to compliment and to take care of that other soldier or that other athlete. Because they've just been doing life together all the time. And so when the battle hits, when life gets difficult, they're not worried about whether that guy's going to abandon them or not. No, they actually, they actually can feel that dude pressing up against their back covering their back. When they make the pass, they know that guy's going to be just in the right spot because they've run that route over and over and over again, and he knows exactly where he's going to be. And even in the middle of the play when he needs to make an adjustment, there's so much connection between those two players because they've spent so much time together that even on the fly, they can just look at each other and make an adjustment and score the touchdown. That's what we're talking about when we talk about striving together, when we talk about working together. We have, we have the same mind. We're working from the same playbook. We're headed in the same direction. And Christ is the glue. It's not about me being the leader or you being the leader. It's about Christ being the glue. Go look it up in Ephesians chapter 4. He's given the church all kinds of gifts and people not so they can each just kind of scatter and do their own thing, but so that we can come together and be one body, be united together. Christ is the head and following his lead because he's the glue. That's what Paul is saying to the Philippians here. And so then because of that, look in verse 28 again. We don't have to be frightened in anything by our opponents. There was a famous preacher, his name is John Knox, and he lived in a time in Scotland when it was a pretty dark time for, for Christ's followers. It was during the reign of, of Bloody Mary um, in the 1500s, and uh, she, was, she was just evil. Um, she burned over 280 Christians. Some of those were Knox's friends. He was a small little dude. Got sick all the time. But he was fearless for the gospel. At his funeral, here's what somebody said. They said, here lies one who never feared the face of man. Here lies one who never feared the face of man. That's a struggle for me. I'm a people pleaser. 
The guys on our, on our elder team know that about me. I've confessed that multiple times. I have to constantly remind myself, constantly go back to Scripture and be reminded of who is my God and who is man. Jesus told his disciples this, and this is a verse that, that I have to come back to all the time. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. I need to remind myself, and I want to remind you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've already been accepted by the creator of the universe. Who else do you need acceptance from? It doesn't get any higher on the food chain than that. Creator of the universe has accepted you. You don't need acceptance by anybody else. You've been embodied by his spirit to live the life that God has called you to live. But yet the enemy is constantly chirping at us. Man, he doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care for you. The creator of the universe, he doesn't really have time for you. Seriously? You think the creator of the universe has really accepted you. Come on. Right? That's the chirping that's constantly happening in our lives. But we need to be reminded that we can live lives of fearlessness. We don't have to fear condemnation because we've been accepted by the creator of the universe. So stay in the battle. Stand firm. Because you're going to get mocked. You're going to get ridiculed. And guess what? Those that do that this passage is a warning to them. That's their destruction. It's a sign. It's a sign that they're on the wrong side. So stand firm. Keep sowing the seeds of good. Remind yourself whose you are. That's what Paul was saying to the Philippians right there. And he leaves them in verses 29 and 30 to be battle ready. That's the last thing I want to share with you today. We are in a fight. Okay, if, if you signed up for Team Jesus because you're hoping for a, a life of ease and comfort um, and then you get the reward of heaven, you signed up for the wrong thing. Suffering is coming your way if it hasn't hit you already. We are in a battle. We're in a battle against not people but the present darkness. Now, does it come in the forms of ridicule and, and through the voice of people at times? Yeah, it does. So be battle ready. Be ready for that suffering that's going to come. Paul says here, he says, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's coming. Be battle ready. Which means, remind yourself whose you are, remind yourself who's been given to you, the Holy Spirit, who's empowered you to do the work, remind yourself of the Jesus family that you're a part of. This is not a go-it-alone kind of thing. Paul's not writing this to one individual, he's writing this to the church at Philippi. So I want to go back to the two questions that I started with. And now I want you to fill in the blank. For me, living is blank. 
For some of you, 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 you mentally wrote in the word, for me, living is money, which means dying is being broke. Or you may have put in there, for me, living is power, which means dying is being powerless. Or for me, living is beauty, which means dying is losing it and rotting. For me, living is pleasure, dying is no pleasure. Don't settle. Don't settle. Those things will not satisfy. Let me rephrase that. Those things will not satisfy long term. The lesser things do satisfy sometimes in the short run. Okay? Sin is like ice cream. It tastes good. But it traps and it takes you further than you want to go. And one day you wake up and you're just far, far, far away from the Father. So don't settle for the lesser. Pursue what Paul talks about in verse 21. Let me read it to us one more time and then we're going to pray. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If you live a life that way, then you know that you're going to get to die a death that way. It's win-win. It's the filet or the ribeye. Give me either one. If I stay, I get to live this life, pursuing a life with Jesus. If he takes me, the moment I step off this stage, I get to be with him. Now, if you don't know him, that's a very different story. I've already explained to you what it looks like. If God is pulling on your heart this morning and drawing you to himself, repent of your sin, confess to him that you need him, that you desire his kingship and lordship of your life, and he will save you. Scripture makes that very, very clear. He will do that. We're going to move in now to a time of response. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. And uh, you have an opportunity to remember who you are. That's what this is all about. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's, it's a reminder of whose you are. It's a reminder of the fact that God has broken his body, spilt his blood for you. So as you take the cup, as you eat the little wafer, as you drink the juice, celebrate that well this morning. Grab a couple of friends, grab your family, pray together, and celebrate whose you are. That's what this time is about. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity uh, that we've had to look into your word, to study your word. Um, God, I thank you for these families that are here. Um, Lord, as we take time to be reminded of whose we are, Father, Lord, help us just to celebrate that well. We thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.